Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to Minisode 151 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. Hello, hi Mitch, happy Sunday. Hello, how are you? Uh, okay, yeah, it's been a bit of a week, but yeah, I'm here, I'm alive, and it's, uh, it's Sunday. It sure is, 11.30 on Sunday for date stamp purposes. Uh, pretty busy week on this side as well. I have got some viewing to talk about, but really not very much, so I'm going to uh, steer towards yourself first think for this well, assuming of course that you've watched more than i have <laughs> well i don't know that i have really um yeah i've had a bit of a, a, a shitty week this week so i've kind of spent a lot of time in the company of the simpsons on disney plus so i haven't watched as much stuff as i would have liked to but i did round out creep show i know we talked about it last week mm-hmm. i thought it was fine i know you mentioned the the kind of vr bit at the start the night the living dead but i was actually really fond of that i quite liked it no i liked that bit as well it was kind of where it went after that that it kind of <laughs> yeah, I thought it, I thought it was a bit weird. I, I really like Justin Long as a screen presence. Yeah, and same. He's doing good stuff here. He's pretty funny. He adds that kind of bumbling, kind of almost smartass, but at the same time, kind of bit of a dork thing into Horror Express quite well. But I don't know. It just something about it felt a little bit ham-fisted to me. And I don't know exactly what it was. Kind of just feel like with a full panel of resources available to you, that's not the film that you would have chosen for this. Possibly not. I mean, it's it's interesting when you see him kind of browsing his catalogue, if you like, like early on in the episode. There's mm-hmm. much better titles that he could have chosen in that catalogue. Yes, I would agree. But yeah, you do your best with what's there, and I think yeah, I think I thought it was I thought it was fine. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I thought it was fine, and I have to echo your sentiment from last week. I actually think season two of Creep Show has been far superior to season one of Creep Show. I thought season one of Creep Show starts really well with the first episode, and then kind of just falls off. And uh, yeah, I feel like this has been a season of ups and downs rather than mostly downs so hopefully series three if they do it they are doing it they are doing it but there we go hopefully it's mostly ups yeah hopefully i would say a lot more forward momentum this uh this season yeah absolutely i also got a chance to revisit a film i haven't watched in a long time this week because i got i mentioned a couple of weeks ago i got my hands on arrow videos 4k release of richard kelly's donnie darko Mm-hmm. Now, you did say that you were probably going to dig into this this week. Yeah, I did dig into everything, but I, I certainly rewatched the film, the theatrical cut, that is. Um, and first, I just want to say, I know I've seen a lot of people commenting and complaining to Arrow Video that the UHD disc that they've got judders and it's occasionally too dark. I didn't really notice any issues, to be honest, on my 4K Blu-ray player. I didn't feel the need to kind of quality check that again on my, like my PlayStation 5 or something. Mm-hmm. But certainly the where I was watching it seemed absolutely fine. I didn't notice okay. any significant image issues or any crushed blacks, things being too dark. Uh, yeah, and probably don't need to sit here and tell anyone about Donnie Darko. No, but it is, it's very good. At least I remember it being very good from the multiple times I watched it when I was younger. It is still good. I still think it holds up. I hope that would be the case. Now, you did say that you watched the theatrical cut. Is the director's cut on there? director's cut is also on there, yes. That's like kind of like widely thought to be less good than the theatrical, isn't it? 
I have to agree, actually. Yeah, it's I, I don't like the director's cut almost at all, actually. That's I, not, actually, that's not fair. I, it's not that I don't like it at all because it is broadly the same film, but there's a few wee decisions in there that I just I don't think really benefit the film at all or really enhance the plotline in any way. And the removal of Echo and the Bunnymans, The Killing Moon, is unforgivable for me. Yeah, um, I think also the including of the overlay of pages from the philosophy of time travel thing is an unnecessary cliff noting of things that you should have to figure out for yourself. Yeah, it's just, and plus it, visually, I don't, I think it looks cheap. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too hot on it. So I was, I was just curious when you said Danny Darko, I was wondering what the, and obviously I'm not surprised to learn that both cuts were on there, but I was curious to know which one you went for and what you thought of the director's cut actually. Yeah, well, well there you go. Um, I'm always going to gravitate to the theatrical cut of Donnie Darko because I do think it's the superior film. Aha, uh-huh, I think it benefits from being leaner. Yeah, and it is still a great film. Uh, it was really well yeah. acted. It's got a lot of real kind of things on rewatch that kind of almost feel like cultural touchstones now in a kind of way. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's still great. And for my money, it's a good release. I don't see a massive issue with it. I mean, yeah. Cool, great. Anything else to report? Uh, one other thing. Uh, Friday saw the release of... And, and, and I don't want to dwell too much on video games here because that's not really our territory. That's territory that belongs to our pal Paddy Murphy, really. Fair, yeah. Uh, um, but Resident Evil 8 Village came out on Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had pre-ordered it a long time ago with my uh, refund for the ill-fated Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, I had just uh, bought Resident Evil 8 like way back when I got my money back for that shambles. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not really that far into it. I'm maybe probably about four or five hours into it. But really great. Picks up a little bit after the kind of main plotline of Resident Evil 7, Biohazard. And... Uh, transports our hero from that game to a town in broadly Eastern Europe. Okay, one of those, okay. Yeah, one of those ones that has a lot of kind of (laughs) vampire castles. (laughs) So it's kind of, I would say, if I was going to say anything, I would say it's Romania. Right, because of okay, the currency okay. they use, and yeah, it just all feels very Romanian to me. Although no accents in the, the the voice cast, really, everyone is pretty much just American. Okay, maybe better. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's kind of something that Resident Evil games have always had. They've always had kind of hokey voice acting and dodgy writing. But uh, in the early running, certainly what I've played, pretty scary. Graphics are in, they feel like an upgrade to even the previous game. And uh, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. I hear that it gets a little bit simple and kind of easier as it goes on and like you become a bit potentially a bit too overpowered, your character. Right. So we'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, so far so good. Resident Evil Village. Yeah, you're happy to call it a promising start at least at this point. I am, I am, yeah. Okay. There's one point in it in particular that's like the kind of second stage that you visit. I genuinely thought it was pretty terrifying. <laughs> cool, that's always good. Yeah. I only have the one thing to pro on really this week. I was much the same as you this week. I was doing with American Dad what you were doing with The Simpsons. <laughs> Um, I've kind of fallen away from a lot of those shows so I'm working my way back through the stuff that I haven't seen Mm -hmm. so I'm doing that a little bit with American Dad a lot actually this week to be fair how many seasons of American Dad are there now? there's like 16 of which I think I watched about eight or nine when it was on when it was like kind of like first time round right. I'm at season 12 at the moment it's still fine it's, I think it's going to come out funnier than Family Guy for longer but I'm not here to talk about that yeah. um, I did the point of Shudder this week because as you may have noticed if you were listening in on the streaming platforms last week Ryan Kruger's Festival Smash Fried Body uh, yeah. landed there yes week. of course yeah so um i uh watched that over two settings over the weekend uh-huh. and what you have here for anyone that's not familiar and this like i say this like had a really really good really strong festival lifespan this film mm-hmm. and a lot of people really took to it and what you have here is this horrible bastard of a character called barry 
True. Who um, kind of like has a personality of his own and dialogue for long enough at the start for it to be established that he's a total dick to everyone he meets. Right, sure. Then he gets abducted by aliens and then he comes back with a kind of alien piloting his body. Right. And then what follows is this alien taking him on this like drug, sex and violence fueled kind of uh, venture across Cape Town. Right, okay. I completely understand why this has been going over well with people and I think that it is designed for festivals. Okay. I think that the other side of that coin is that it is not a particularly fun experience, at least for me, to watch by yourself in your house. Right. I couldn't really find an entry point with this. Like I say, I get it. I do. But um, the character is kind of grotesquely unlikable in the early going. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of all you know about him before this kind of abduction takes place. The abduction itself is quite cool. There's quite a lot of, like, fairly trippy imagery in it that feels a little bit weird for the sake of weird, but it is quite cool. Okay. And some of that stuff uh, works quite nicely, and I would say that the alien abduction is probably one of the better instances of that. But um, when he comes back, it's basically you just have this guy who you know, like, in his original Earth form is a dick, being piloted by this alien and meeting this cavalcade of arseholes. Sure. Um, and just doing some shagging and some murdering along the way while also taking some drugs. This isn't for me. Right. <laughs> um... Like I, like I just, I just didn't get along with it really at all. That came um, as no surprise to me. That, that was based on what you were just saying. That came as no surprise to me that it wasn't for you. No, I think that, like I, th- I think that, like I absolutely wanted to know. I definitely wanted to have an opinion on it because it was. I think it's fair to say that it was one of the most talked about films on the festival circuit last year. Like the festival mm. circuit was weird last year, but um, one kind of consistent through line was that everywhere this film played. It seemed to be that there was this buzz about it. And it's not surprising to me at all that it's got this really great kind of end result of that is this acquisition from Shudder. And I think it's a great choice from them as well because Mm -hmm. people will love it. And there's an inbuilt audience for it because kind of I think that people who have Shudder are the kinds of people who pay attention to the buzz that comes out of festivals. Yes. There's no better home for this film at this point. I don't like it. Okay. But I think that like it's not for me. I think that like watching this kind of like theater of unlikable characters do fairly reprehensible things to no real end is not really something that I can find a connecting line with, I don't think. Yeah, because this is one that's, that I've been really interested in seeing, and I'm definitely going to probably check it out this week. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know, would you say it's more for me? I would say that your threshold for the kind of midsection of this would be higher than mine. <laughs> right. Like, I, like, and I don't know if that's me coming out saying that I think you'll like it anymore or not. If you do watch it, I'm certainly interested to know what you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, this isn't even me telling you to not check it out, because it's an absolute curiosity, and I think that like there's some really cool visual choices and things like that. And I think that it sells you 100% on the atmosphere that it's going for, particularly kind of post-abduction. It's all really feverish Mm -hmm. and quite disorientating and all that stuff works. It's just that, like, I felt like I was just kind of, like, sitting outside it the entire time in a way that I don't like, just to talk about things that have that same fever dream feel to it, I felt like I was kind of sitting outside this in a way that I didn't with something like Bliss. Okay, right, okay. But, yeah, Ryan Krieger's Fried Body is on Shudder now everywhere. And like I say, I think that, like, the fact that it didn't work for me is not me telling you to not watch it because I think that loads of people out there are going to really like it. Cool. Okay. Brilliant. I'm still going to check it out and I will feed back next week. Please do. Uh, speaking of your adventures though. Yeah, Nature Gone Wild. Uh, I received a recommendation this week from Andrew Barron uh, that I should go and revisit Razorback. Ah, okay. I am now removing that from the feedback I was going to read later because <laughs> you've obviously read it. Yes, I did read that and yes, I watched it and it's still excellent. Directed by Russell Mulcahy 
who directed things like Resident Evil Extinction, Scorpion King 2. Crazily, the I'm Still Standing video by Elton John. No way! I love weird things about people's careers like that. Oh, he's done, he's done some incredible music videos. Incredible music videos. But uh, he also directed this, and I really love it. It's just absolutely preposterous, really. Okay, I mean, I must admit, uh, I saw Andrew's comment coming in, and uh, I'm assuming that it's got something to do with a boar, judging by the image that he attached to it. But apart from that, no very little. <laughs> You're exactly right, yeah. It's an Australian film uh, revolving around the attacks of a big boar. Yeah, a crazy big boar in Australia eating people. Uh, you may remember How far back are we going here? Oh, we're back to 1984 for this. Uh, I think he okay. actually came right out of this and made Highlander. Sure, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, it's so weird. Like, it, it's uh, you may remember uh, Matt Mercer talking about it fairly recently when we did the Howling episode because uh, oh yeah mm-hmm. there's a recycled or what Matt believes to be a recycled Razorback puppet and I have to agree with him now <laughs> upon rewatching <laughs> yeah yeah this is so silly and it's kind of terrible but I don't know I just oh, just love it so much. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you had a good one uh, this week then. Big thank you to Andrew Barrett then for getting in touch and steering you in that direction. Any idea how many more of these you're going to do? Well, like I said, I wanted to take it up until something like uh, Great White comes out, which a uh, quick snoop on IMDb shows me that it's, I think it's out in Spain. Okay, unfortunately still on the no-fly list, otherwise you could have gone and checked that out. <laughs> I'm not flying. I'm not doing the thing I hate the most in the world by flying to Spain. To watch a to t- presumably middling shark movie and then yeah. come back. So is your aspiration to end Day Trigger Wild on Great White? Um, potentially. I need to dig in a little bit more and find out when it's coming out. Because if it's coming out in October, I may just have to pull the trigger. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I suppose that means that it's also time for us to start thinking about which of the two of us is going on a side quest and what it's going to be next. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm more than happy to take on another one, but you've had a fair break. But you did do two back to back, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's true. I don't know. I, I'd be happy to step up. Um, well, yeah, we can have a think about this. We can talk about this off mic. Sure, sure, of course. So yeah. What have they been singing? Decent amount this week on the feedback. A lot of it, of course, centering on brain scan. Now, big thank you to Mr. Stevie Webb for joining us for episode 149 and talking brain scan with us. Of course, Stevie is the host of the Brain Rot podcast. If you like what we do, you will almost certainly like what he does as well. Yeah, but he does it with people like Mark Kermode and Stephen Fry. <laughs> Stephen Fry, yeah. But yeah, so he did uh, He did take a break from uh, talking to uh, National Treasures to come and speak to us <laughs> about uh, Brain Scan last week. And uh, a few people got in touch in and around that kind of episode. Uh, Fee Bunny on Twitter, of course, our winner of the Listener's Choice from a couple of weeks back. She posted on Instagram just a picture of the opening title card for uh, Brain Scan, which she often does uh, when she's cluing us in on their viewing. Mm-hmm. She's getting a rewatch of this little beaut in before Strong Violent PC's new episode drops tomorrow, so this was Thursday night. Sure. She also said, can I just say, those guys have been knocking it out of the park with the film choices of late. If you're not subscribed to them already, get on it and treat your ears. So, big thank you for that, but also, that compliment is really to be directed largely to our guests who have been picking some amazing stuff. Yeah, the guests have been smashing it lately with their choices. Like, well, with the notable exception of my soul to take for me. Yeah, but great chats all. I think that regardless of whether or not they actually like them, I think that they're all pointed towards being good conversations. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Uh, also got Laura Binding on Twitter uh, saying, that's the greatest reaction ever to having to do a 30-second synopsis from Stevie um, with the hashtag, oh shit, because I believe that's how Stevie introduced his one the minute that I counted him in. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Be- before also uh, mislabeling the main character as Kevin. <laughs> 
But an admirable recovery from Stevie in that one, I must say. Yeah, yeah. I've got Key and O'Brien getting in touch uh, to say, looking forward to Strong Violent PC's brain scan episode. Key and I hope you enjoyed it. You know Frank Langella's a phenomenal actor because I met him once and when I mentioned it, he almost convinced me he had fond memories of the film. <laughs> Good stuff. It does have the swipe of one of those projects that he worked on that someone has to remind them that he worked on. Uh-huh, a little bit like um, Paul Rudd with Halloween 6. <laughs> Uh, my concluding part on BrainScan is uh, Andrew Barron on Facebook. He said, just watch this for the first... And actually, this started a great conversation uh, between himself and Bill Carr on the Chudlocker. He said, just watch this for the first time yesterday in preparation for listening to the episode and enjoyed it a lot. It reminded me of a Channel 4 miniseries from the late 90s called Killer Net about an immersive Ooh. video game in which you commit a murder that then inexplicably happens in real life. It's pretty much exactly the same premise and like all tech thrillers from the 90s looks laughably dated as soon as it was released. Now I believe some digging was done around this and uh, it was discovered that Killer Net is on YouTube in its entirety. Okay. If, uh, if anyone is of a mind to go and take a look at that and if you are of a mind to go and look at that then you uh, should probably know a couple of things about it. <laughs> Most notably, that the cast includes both Paul Bettany and Take That's Jason Orange. Wow! <laughs> so take what you want from that. It is approximately three hours in length. Um, right. uh, three hours and 21 minutes there. So uh, yeah, so KillerNet is available, but uh, thank you to Andrew Barron and Bill Carr for their combined digging. Speaking of brain scan, Mitch, and things that may or may not be available on YouTube, did you by any chance revisit The Ink Thief like you had said you were going to? No, but I'm delighted to find that. I've found at least the first four episodes. My mum sent me a picture message of the book that it's based on. Right. Uh, which is still in the Bain family home. Lovely. <laughs> and uh, yes, I did I did send you, a tra- I think I sent you a link for the trailer for it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, if anybody missed the Brain Scan episode, I got talking about a short-lived kind of like kids horror series from 1990, I want to say four. Right. Called mm-hmm. The Ink Thief, starring Richard O'Brien as uh, this character who drains the power of imagination by stealing words from books. I remember it as being amazing. I'm apprehensive about revisiting it but i think i might check out a couple this afternoon does he steal like just individual words to make the reading of it incredibly annoying because (laughs) to me that's like one of the most annoying things i can imagine if it was like removing character (laughs) names and i'd be like who the fuck's this talking now who is this like he's got rid of all the verbs <laughs> no, uh, my recollection is that he drains entire books, but I, I will, um, I'll come back with a little bit more information about this um, as when I have it. Uh, that is my lot on brain scan, though. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, there before we move on. Yeah, I've got a couple of things on brain scan. Saltire popcorn getting in touch on Twitter. Enjoyed the strong, violent PC chat about brain scan, even though everyone involved enjoyed it more than I did. So there we go, uh, discerning voice. Uh, he accompanied that post with a link to a middling blog post on it. Well, the blog post was good. The review was middling. <laughs> <laughs> Rich just slamming Kevin's writing skills there. <laughs> James Rodriguez also got in touch on Twitter to say, Oh my goodness, a film I've actually seen. Excited for mm. the discussion about this very 90s look at technology. Undeniable. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed it, James. You got anything else on BrainScan? No, 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 that's it. Right, I only have the one more thing, so I'm going to burn through that, then you can bring it home. Okay. And I want to say hello to Sarah Izell getting in touch. Um, <laughs> and this was off the back of, I believe, the Terrorvision episode. Right. Um, where we talked to Mike Munzer. 
mm-hmm. about specifically the theme song oh, to yeah. that. And um, we did kind of briefly touch on, uh, or there's been some conversation at least about uh, theme songs in general. Like I always talk very favorably about the Mr. Duran song from the end of Street Trash. Yeah, and the theme from Zombievers is another favorite of yours. Yes, yeah. But uh, Sarah got in touch saying, uh, let me just say that I'm truly shocked. During the discussion of film music bangers, not a single mention of Truth or Dare, a critical madness. Oh. That theme is an absolute revelation. Could not agree more. That uh, That is an absolute... I don't know if banger is necessarily the right word for something that's no. effectively like a big sweeping power ballad, but definitely merits a mention in the great theme songs or the expositional theme songs of the, of the films that we've covered in the show. Got to say, completely slipped my mind until right now, Sarah, so thank you for that. Great catch, great catch. Yeah, I've only got the one more thing here, and it's coming in from Dan Popomatic on Twitter. I felt sure there would be a strong violent PC episode on Inseminoid already, but sadly not. Um, yeah, sadly not. I think uh, I don't. I'm not sure that Inseminoid was the easiest film to get up until fairly recently. I think it's available on Amazon Prime now, and obviously there's the amazing Norman J. Warren box set out from Indicator. But yeah, you never know. You never know if someone suggests Inseminoid, then we'll go for it. I'm not entirely sure it's one that I'm ever going to pick for an Andy versus Mitch episode. Obviously, I haven't seen it, so I won't be picking it anytime soon. Also, my Andy versus Mitch picks are picked until the end of the year. Oh my god! Yeah, right. Okay, mine are picked like sometimes, very occasionally, they're planned in advance but quite often they are picked as we record the minisode <laughs> during the recording of the minisode um, but yeah Dan I mean that is in the hands of the gods or more specifically our guests if, yeah. uh, if anybody wants to do Inseminoid we'll certainly do it but um, what it was was the subject of an infamous Mitch's pitch yeah going way 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 back like early doors Mitch's pitches yeah way way back when my dad suggested things like floodlights over Salem amazing still one of the best uh, things ever uh, yes uh, I think a few people out there will agree with you on that one however moving on yeah. Once again, time then for Mitch's Pitches. Now, Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He'll have photoshopped out the title and the tagline and left only the image. I will describe it to the best of my ability and also give it a title and a synopsis based solely on my impression of that image. We will post that everywhere as well so you guys can join in. Now, a bunch of people did that in response to the Andy's pitch from last week, which was Rage War. Yeah, a.k.a. Dungeon Master. A.k.a. Contraband, Pirate Man in a Strange Land. (laughs) I'm so fucking dumb. So, uh, I want to say hello again. A whole load of people getting in touch uh, this week, so I'm just going to shoot through uh, some of my favourites. Kevin Matthews then on Facebook. Board game and RPG enthusiast D and Die becomes obsessed with making a real-life version of his favourite games. He captures and imprisons people, aiming to make them reluctant players in its tabletop torturous gameplay. But the big problem is the size difference. He either needs to shrink the players somehow or build one gigantic table that would blend in with the set of the Land of the Giants. He's also lost some of his special gaming dice. Taking participants from a level of relative normality through various gaming levels to some inner circles of hell, is 1985's Pair of Dice Lost? <laughs> Clever. Uh, Guy Reefert, starring Jack Nicholson as the reincarnation of Jack Torrance, now a computer geek and games writer, he lures <laughs> Wendy and Danny into a multi-level game of doom. Tron meets Planet of the Apes in Jack's computer-generated world as Danny and Wendy fight for survival to escape Torrance's maze of terror. Right. Uh, James Rodriguez, a group of friends, answered an advert which promises the most unbelievable experience of your lives and possibly the very last one. Upon arriving at the destination, the friends discover the experience is hosted by Glenn Danzig. 
As nobody will fund his films after Verotica, Danzig has to get his ideas out by luring people and forcing them to take part in an epic adventure through living Dungeons & Dragons games. The poor victims are forced to do whatever comes to Danzig's head, including hauling a steamship up a steep hill, all while putting on bad accents. Nothing will prepare you for Miss Fitzcarraldo. <laughs> Uh, staying with the Danzig theme, Kean O'Brien, <laughs> after years of online bullying thanks to a viral photo of him shopping at an Asian market, Glenn Danzig <laughs> has had enough. <laughs> he slaved away studying Eastern mysticism under Lo Panzig and has mastered the art of dark magic and become Danzilla, essentially the same massive twat, but now he's a massive twat, standing 70 foot tall and ready to tear the continent of Asia apart country by country. You'll see how the gods really kill when death comes ripping in, in Big Danzig... <laughs> In pretty much standard-sized China. <laughs> Hany underscore Ray, a mad mage, imprisons his foes in an alternate reality of his own design where they must battle with warrior demons who live in elaborate sandcastles. It's bucket and shade, sandcastles of death. <laughs> and finally this week, Bill Carr. One morning, embittered drug dealer Duncan Shagger is thrilled to discover that his neck has sprouted a small red carpet. He decides to spread the carpet with powdered narcotics in order to attract the little folk who live at the back of his combi boiler. <laughs> in no time at all, they've colonised the neck carpet and used the powder as raw materials to sculpt into various architectural structures, as well as getting totally mad with it. <laughs> Duncan takes his neck circus on the road and becomes famous, even appearing on Wogan. But will fame begin to take its toll? Claudio Carvalho directs the 1986 <laughs> tearjerker. It's my miniature neck carpet coke party and I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> Great to see that Claudio's broken into directing. Uh, also, great to see that uh, I thought that image looked like Jim Carrey, and other people have gone for Glenn Danzig and Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> Fantastic stuff. So, uh, tough job this week. Uh, best character name and best pitch? Duncan Shagger. <laughs> okay. And best pitch, without a doubt. I mean, I could. I, I suppose I could give best character name to the unlikely name of Glenn Danzig. Um, <laughs> But uh, best pitch to uh, Kean because th- that was oh. great, and I, I I never miss a, an opportunity to hear people slagging dancing. That's fair. Uh, so Kean and Bill, you are this week's winners. Whole loads of nothing on their way to you. Uh, Kean, obviously, uh, please allow for a little bit of additional shipping time. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, but we'll get there as soon as we can. So, my turn then. Yep, ready? Yeah, hit me. There you go. <laughs> Okay. Right. <laughs> um, what tickled okay. you so? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just quite pleased with this, to be honest. Right, okay. okay. Uh, let's see what we got here. Okay. So the border to this image is white. Yes. The there's not really a background to this, I don't suppose. What we have here is a door, a wooden door, by the looks of it, mm-hmm. uh, with a kind of brass or bronze handle with a keyhole. Okay, thanks for that image. Uh-huh. Um, a human right hand is bursting through that door. The size of the hole that it's leaving in the panelling leads me to believe that it is a larger than average human hand or a smaller than average door. <laughs> it's a but for this purpose, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to extrapolate and say that it is a large hand bursting through the door. Okay. Uh, fleeing from the hand, uh, I was going to say fleeing from the door, but presumably more pressingly fleeing, uh, fleeing from the hand, is what appears to be a young boy. Uh, he is wearing uh, jeans and some trainers and a red and black kind of flannel shirt and a dark blue or black zip-up jacket, which is unzipped, and he has a shock of black hair. He also seems to be holding some kind 
an ornament in his left hand. It looks like an Academy Award. It does look like an Academy Award, um, which I'm definitely using. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there you go. Um, Academy Award clutching miscreant flees from giant hand bursting through wooden door. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll need a minute. Sure, sure. Remember I gave you that PlayStation 4? Yes. Have you ever kind of dipped into gaming yourself on it? I have very tentatively. Not in any kind of like, I haven't bought things or anything sure. like that. Right. Um, but in the last flat that I lived in, uh, me and my flatmate Dan, because uh, I've, I've not been a gamer of basically any description for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And Dan introduced me to uh, Rocket League. Right, okay. Which I really like. So um, I have been playing that online with Dan, who now lives in America, so it's a nice way for us to catch up. Of course, yeah, that is nice. And I'll probably be doing that with a couple of other people as well. But um, apart from that, no, it has, um, it has mostly been used for my small but growing Blu-ray collection. Excellent. And how is that coming? Uh, let's see. Demons and Demons 2. Yeah. Uh, Raw. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah. uh, Raw, After Midnight, uh, and in the Apocalypse, A Ghost Waits. Right, and soon to be the stylist and threshold. Cool. Yeah. By the way, threshold just came to the Arrow Player. It did. Yeah. Uh, people need to check that out. Um, it's so so great. Mm. Like um, uh, really really amazing film in my opinion actually. Yeah. Um, however, uh, on to more ridiculous things. I do have a pitch here. It is quite ambitious. Okay. Please. Amateur safecracker and aspiring actor Walter Catcher is struggling to gain traction in the unforgiving Hollywood showbiz scene. After countless failed auditions, money is running low and Walter soon realises that the time might have come to start making his own luck. If there's one thing the Academy loves, it's a compelling true story. And if there's two things the Academy loves, it's a compelling true story and masturbatory filmmaking about the film industry. (laughs) Armed with this inalienable truth, it's time for Walter to sculpt his own narrative. In the Tinseltown crime of the century, he'll pull off the perfect undetectable heist. Stealing the Best Actress Academy Award Meryl Streep won in 2012 for her portrayal of Margaret Thatcher in The Iron Lady. (laughs) He knows the industry will be reeling from the news, at which point he will hastily rush a film adaptation of the story into production, in which he will write, produce, direct and star. However, stealing the award itself is harder than it looks. Unbeknownst to the world at large, Streep is in possession of myriad dark powers, which include growing to enormous size, shooting lasers from her eyes, and securing a Best Actress nomination for Ricky and the Flash. <laughs> Pursued across the vast landscape of Streep's estate by a towering, marauding mecha metal, what starts as a deadly fight for survival soon becomes a deadly fight for survival. In 2014's brutal gore fest, Walter Katzer, Oscar Snatcher, the 60-foot abominations not for turning. <laughs> I fucking love that. Front to back, love that. Thank you very much. Uh, That's your best um, in a long time, man. Do you think it's it's your favourite since the Moochie of the Fake or the Candlestick Maker? No, no, no. I think uh, that that title in particular is the apex of your entire Mitch's Pitches project to date. So uh, it's pretty great. It's not quite up there with that. Okay, I'll take that. Happy with it. Um, So more to the point, what actually is this? Uh, what year did you say? Uh, I said 2014, uh, but that was just because I needed to make it after the Iron Lady. I know it's earlier than that. Sure, yeah. Well, it is. It's 1988. Sure. And the film is Cameron's Closet. Cameron's Closet. Okay, tell me more. This IMDb synopsis this week coming in from Simone Brown. Okay. A young and lonely boy named Cameron has telekinetic powers which his father experiments with. The young boy's loneliness is the cause of a strange spell to be cast. A demon from hell is unleashed and tries to take over the boy's soul. A delusional police officer and his new girlfriend psychiatrist are the only ones available to help the child after his father and mother's boyfriend are killed. 
The demon lives in the boy's closet and in a part of the mind that can only be reached by entering it. <laughs> I love it. That was a very oddly structured synopsis. I love that. It's like, oh, we've tried multiple other options of accessing this bit of his mind. Guess we'll have to enter it. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. Um, that concludes Bitches Bitches for this week. That image is everywhere. So uh, get in touch. You could win yourself some nothing, much like Kian and Bill did this week. Yeah, congratulations, guys. Mitch, tell us what's coming on the streaming platforms, please. Uh, a whole load, but nothing on Amazon Prime. Sure, let's just drop that until we know for sure that there's something coming. Yeah, I'm just going to stop mentioning it unless there's a notable, because uh, it's much harder to keep track of unless there's things with set release dates, which is far less common than it is with some of the others, it seems. Yeah. But yeah, some good stuff and some not-so-good stuff. On Netflix, we've got Brightburn on Wednesday. Okay, mm, I'm, that Brightburn's such a missed opportunity, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I thought it was a little disappointing as well, but if you want to check this one out, it's available on Netflix on Wednesday. Loving parents who adopted a child that fell from the star in a spacecraft years ago realised that he's becoming evil and that he has superpowers. He's just bad Superman. Yes, he's bad Superman, precisely. Also on Friday, whole load of stuff got the woman in the window confined to her home by agoraphobia. A psychologist becomes obsessed with her new neighbours and solving a brutal crime she witnessed from her window. So rear window. So rear window then. That was my that was my thought. Yeah, perhaps it's an adaptation, but it doesn't specify that, but uh, quite possibly. Also on Friday, we've got The Strange House. When a big city family moves to a remote town, two young brothers and their new friends try to solve the menacing mystery that haunts their home. Mm. Uh, also on Friday, we have got season three of Haunted, a menacing mansion, a haunting melody, a demonic cat. More, <laughs> more real people share, share scary stories from their past and the truth is terrifying. Oh, wow. Sounds it. Also on Friday, Volume 2 of Love, Death and Robots. From wild adventures on far-flung planets to unsettling encounters close to home, this Emmy-winning anthology returns with a crop of provocative tales. Ooh, provocative. Uh, also, and finally for Netflix, we've got Ma, uh, the Octavia Spencer film from a couple of years back. When a woman agrees to buy booze for a group of teens, they begin to party in her basement, but her hospitality soon turns to obsession. It does. Elsewhere then, Sky Cinema on Tuesday. This one's been available on VOD for a little while, but cool that it is making the move. Uh, you can get it on Sky Cinema from Tuesday. Rent-a-Pal. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I've been looking to check this one out for a while, actually. A strange VHS tape allows a lonely bachelor named David to find companionship with Andy, its charming and charismatic host. Mm, there you go. However, Andy's friendship comes at a cost, and David desperately struggles to afford the price of admission. Almost to Shudder, then. A couple of good catalogue titles coming on Monday, a little bit more recent than we've been getting lately. Also, uh, we'll get into it nearer the time, but Shudder have just announced their Summer of Chills. Yeah, it looks incredible. Incredible lineup of stuff coming uh, over the summer in Shudder. But yeah, more immediately on Monday, today, we've got Climate of the Hunter. Two sisters compete for the affections of a man who may be a vampire. Uh, on Tuesday, we've got The Funeral Home. Okay. Uh, Bernardo is an undertaker who runs a mortuary business from his family home. When his family are plagued by visits from supernatural entities, it becomes apparent that the truth behind the paranormal phenomena may be truly terrifying. Ooh. Now, a couple of big festival ones from last year landing on Shudder this week. On Tuesday first, then, we have got Natalie Erica James's Relic. Oh, amazing. Great film. Great film, yep. When elderly mother Edna inexplicably vanishes, her daughter Kay and granddaughter Sam rush to the family's decaying country home, finding clues of her increased dementia scattered around the house in her absence. After Edna returns just as mysteriously as she disappeared, Kay's concern that her mother seems unwilling or unable to say where she's been clashes with Sam's enthusiasm to have her grandmother back. As Edna's behaviour turns increasingly volatile, both begin to sense that an insidious presence in the house might be taking control of her. Ooh. Great one, this, with uh, Emily Mortimer and Bella Heathcote in it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really like this film. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, on Thursday, we've also got Neil Marshall's The Reckoning. 
Right, okay. So, new one, of course, from the director of The Descent. After losing her husband during the Great Plague, Grace Haverstock is unjustly accused of witchcraft and placed in the custody of England's most ruthless witch hunter, Judge Moorcroft. Forced to endure physical and emotional torture while steadfastly maintaining her innocence, Grace must face her own inner demons as the devil himself works his way into her mind. And finally then, Arrow Player. Friday the 14th, couple of things here. Zombie Nightmare from 1986. Voodoo brings back a hit-and-run victim with a baseball bat out for revenge on a police chief played by Adam West. (laughs) Yes, sign me up. And uh, from 1990, a great favourite from the 90 side quest. Oh? Uh, The Reflecting Skin. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up in 1950s Idaho, eight-year-old Seth plays a prank on the town recluse Dolphin Blue with his friends. When they start disappearing, Seth is convinced she's a vampire, stealing them one by one. When his brother Cameron returns home and takes a shine to Dolphin, Seth feels it is up to him to save him from her. So that's your lot from this week. Uh, a lot of really great stuff there, but I can't really see past Relic for a top pick. Same. Agreed. Yeah, but uh, a multitude of great things across all the platforms, apart from Amazon Prime, which, yeah, let's sack it. Let's replace it with the Arrow player. Yeah, do that. Motion carried. <laughs> um, turn our attentions then to this week's show, and it is episode 150. Wow. 150 of these main things. Yeah, we made it. And we do have a returning guest to mark the occasion. With good reason, though. His documentary, Clapboard Jungle, has recently landed on the Arrow Player. You might have heard us talking about it on Patreon recently. We are joined this week for the second time by Justin McConnell. Now, last time he was here, he took us down a very surreal road with Ice Cream Man. What's he going for this time? Uh, not much better this time, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, back to 1995 for Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. Okay, so Justin McConnell rejoins us this week for episode 150, talking Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. If you want to check this out before the show, you can rent this from all the usual places. Yeah, yeah. By the way, just noticing uh, Children of the Corn 3, written by Gary Brandner, who wrote the Howling books. Oh, interesting. There you go. It's all connected. So how are you feeling about this lineup for this week then? Get in touch and let us know. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can, of course, also tweet us at Strong Violent PC. You can email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com and you can join the conversation on our Facebook group The Chud Locker yep and if you didn't know already we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes we just put out an episode the other day on Shudder exclusive Dead House Dark which uh, is uh, interesting to say the least yeah go and have a little look at the Patreon if you see anything that interests you maybe consider chucking a couple of quid into the pot yeah get on that train we are back however in the main feeds this friday for episode 150 we're talking children of the corn 3 urban harvest with justin mcconnell join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it's better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds goodbye bye you've been listening to strong language and violent scenes with andy stewart and mitch bain strong language and violent scenes theme by mitch bain production and artwork by andy stewart find us on stitcher itunes spotify google podcasts and podbean